0: There we go. We're on. Good. All right. We're good. So um, I don't think it's any super secret that some pretty interesting things are happening in the world. I don't think you need to be a rocket scientist to really figure that out. Um, You know, I was pretty much thinking I was woken up with the Lord last night. I saw um, a broadcast on news. That really shook me. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, I was looking at the scriptures because I'm not a doomsday guy or anything like that. But um, it sent chills up my spine. Had a lot to do with the artificial intelligence stuff that's now making its way. And um, if I understood correctly, there is a school in New Jersey and um, just incomprehensible, sick things. Um, The teenagers there were figuring out how to use it and um, were taking images of, I believe, if I understood it correctly, a woman. And now they can create a pornographic picture of that woman with it. And you don't know that it's not her. Um, It was pretty sad that that was happening. And, um, you know, I was led to the scriptures. I'm like, Lord, you know, I I need to run everything through the lens of scripture. And what caught my eye was in 2 Thessalonians. I'm just going to read it. You can keep the slides up there. We can uh, jump in that in a minute, but um, you know, Paul's writing to this church at Thessalonica. This is not my notes, this is just something that I want to share with you. And Paul says in chapter 2, right around verse 3, Paul says, let no one in any way in any way deceive you, for it will not come unless the apostasy comes first and the man of lawlessness, that's the Antichrist, is revealed the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself above every, above every so-called god or object of worship so that he takes a seat in the temple of God displaying himself as being God. Pretty interesting isn't it? And when you get time you can go into Matthew 24. A couple things in there. You know, Some people think this is happening in the tribulation. Some people think that it's going to happen before the trib. But Jesus is speaking here, and this is a sign of his returning. It says, See that no one misleads you. Many will come in my name, saying, I'm the Christ. And verse 6, you will be hearing of wars, rumors of wars. See that you're not frightened, for those things must take place, but that is not the end yet. Verse 7, nation's going to rise against nation. A kingdom's going to rise against kingdom in various places. There's going to be famine. Food insecurities, food shortages, famines, earthquakes. These are merely the beginning of birth pains. And you know, I was watching unfold before my eyes, Israel being surrounded literally by the nations listed in Revelation. You have Gog, Megog, Meshach, Tubal, all of those nations, modern-day Iran, Persia, all of that there. And you can see literally history unfolding before your eyes. So my message to you is beware, beware, beware where you get your source of information from. There's one source of information that is immutable and never changes, and that is the Word of God. If there was ever a time that you finally wake up, you listening around the world, and hear what the pastors of this church are saying, get into the Word of God. It is truth replacing lies because with well, this stuff here you could be watching a video and that person looks as real as I am standing in front of you right now, don't worry I'm real, I'm here. And, and it is really kind of frightening to see that you could be listening to somebody sharing something with you that has no basis in truth. But the Word of God always has its basis in truth because it is the truth. You see your Bible doesn't just contain the Word of God church, it is the very Word of God. Don't ever forget that. So when you get a chance, read Matthew 24, read 2 Thessalonians, read Daniel 9.27, Revelation 13, and you can kind of get a bead from Scripture. Hey, where are we in this time? Because Christ could come back in, at any time. It's up to him, not us. So with that, you know, I want to, you know, I my sermon series is called, you know, an awakened conscience. This is three, next week's part four of it. And, you know, we're we're asking that question. Am I in Adam? Am I dead in my sins and trespasses? Am I walking according to the course of this world? Or am I in Christ? So we're going to, we've arrived at chapter 7. So we're going to kind of dig into there. In the previous chapter we learned how we're identified with Christ. But let me read these verses for you. You know, Romans chapter 7. You can follow along with me in verses 1 through 4. Right from the scriptures. Do you not know, brethren, I'm speaking to those who know the law, that the law has jurisdiction over a person as long as he lives. The married woman is bound by law to her husband while he is living. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law concerning her husband. So then, if, while her husband is alive or living, and she joins herself to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. It doesn't say affair. It says adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from the law, so that she is not an adulteress, even though she's joined to another man. Therefore, my brethren, you also... You were made to die to the law, how? Through the body of Christ, so that you might be joined to another, him, that's Jesus, who was raised from the dead, that we might bear fruit for God. Amen? Amen. So he said, like in our previous chapters, when we were finishing up chapter 6, you know, we learn how we're identified with Jesus. We looked at a believer's death to sin. Have you died to sin yet? And being alive in Christ. We have learned that we were in Adam. We were dead in our sins. But now we are alive in Christ. If you come to a saving faith in Jesus, you're alive in Christ. We spent time learning about what that law could do and what the law cannot do. And we learn that any person who trusts in his or her own ability to try to keep the law, to keep those Ten Commandments, as a way of trying to earn salvation or getting in heaven is cursed. Why? Because it's impossible for anyone, anyone to keep the law perfectly. If God, church, had accepted us and gave us the promise of inheritance by keeping the law, then our entire focus, every moment of every day, would be on trying to keep it. The law would actually literally kind of force us to seek after God by keeping it. Then faith would have nothing to do with it. Look at slide three. So then we looked at what is the purpose of the law. It was to reveal God's perfect standards of righteousness and to show men and women that they are unable to keep the law under their own power to live up to God's perfect standards. That's, that's just the truth. That's a fact, church. So the very fact that none of us could ever do it That should drive each of us to come to a saving faith in Christ alone for our salvation. Now, here we are at chapter 7, and we will now see how Paul makes it clear in the scriptures that you and I are not justified or made right or declared right by the law, nor are we set apart by the law. So let's look at verse slide 4 and 5, chapter 7, verse 1. In the NASB, Do you not know, brethren, I'm speaking to those who know the law that the law has jurisdiction or is binding over a person as long as that person lives and in the new living. Now dear brothers and sisters, you who are familiar with the law, don't you know that the law applies only while the person is alive? So he says, don't you know brethren, he's using that word Adelphos, brethren, it means all Christians, not just Jewish Christians, but all Christians. Then he qualifies it. Who is he referring to? He says, look, I'm speaking to those who actually know the law. Now Paul is making the statement in a rhetorical type of question. Look at slide 6. So that word law, what does he mean by law? The Greek word is namas. It it means a mosaic law or that universal law. And he says it has jurisdiction. Kyrieo. It means it has authority, a binding authority upon you. So what is Paul teaching us in essence? He's teaching us that the law is binding and it has authority over us as long as we're alive. But the very moment a person dies, the law can't touch the person. Now think about it. The law never ever had the power to save anyone. So the real master continued to be sin in our lives before we came to Christ. So Paul's main idea here is not so much a teaching on the law of marriage. He's using that as an analogy in the few, next few verses. But he's trying to give you and I, church, this clear picture of a believer's relationship to the law as opposed to his position in Christ. So look at verse 2 and 3 with me, slide 7. For the married woman is bound by law to her husband, and by the way, her husband to the wife, while he is living or she's living. But if her husband dies, or the wife dies, she or he is released from the law concerning her husband. So then if while the husband is alive and she joins to another man or the man joins to another woman, either one of them will be called an adulteress. I don't like the word affair. I don't like to simplify it. It's adultery. But if her husband dies, she's free from the law so that she is not an adulteress, though she's joined to another man. The NLT puts it this way. For example, slide eight. When a woman marries, the law binds her to her husband as long as he is alive. But if he dies, the law of marriage no longer applies to her. So while her husband is alive, she would be committing adultery if she marries another man. But if her husband dies, she's free from the law and does not commit adultery when she remarries. So what do we see here? How do we take that analogy and really try to unpack it so that we understand what Paul's trying to get across to us? Look at the text. The married woman is bound by law to her husband, slide 9, while he's living. That, that word bound is the word deo. It, it means binding or knitting together. In Genesis, you know, the fa- the, you know a woman leaves her father and mother, or if a, husband, a man leaves his father and mother, and he gets bound, joined, knitted, glued together to his wife. And they become one flesh. So, deo is a good word that Paul's using here about knitting together. What is Paul saying? The laws of marriage are only binding as long as the spouse is alive. So being joined to another person while you're still married is a violation of the law, and the scripture calls it adultery. And Paul finishes, he says, listen, if the husband dies, she's released from the law concerning him. So let's flesh this analogy out. Just as a natural death a natural death will free a wife from being bound to her husband. Christ's death frees us from being condemned by the law. So to be married again after a spouse dies is perfectly legal and acceptable. In verse 3, he brings out this clarification to the point. He's, so let's get some clarity. He says, if all her husband is living, she's joined to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. So I want to make sure we define the word adultery so we really understand Slide 9, what that word means. The Greek word is moikos. It's pretty straightforward. It means to have a sexual or intimate relationship with someone while you're still married or the other person is married. The main point that Paul wants you and I to understand here is this. When a person dies, that person is no longer under the law and cannot be condemned by the law. Death frees a person from the law, Let's face it, you can't put a dead person in jail to serve out their time if they're dead. The law has no power over them anymore. There's no guilt, no demands, there's no condemnation. And we're going to see and unpack in a moment how important that is. Look at verse 4 with me, slide 10 and 11. So here's where Paul ties it together. Therefore, as a result of what I just taught you on the law of marriage, my brothers, you also were made to die to the law and the way you die to the law is through the body of Christ so that you might be joined to another to him who was raised from the dead in order that we might bear fruit for God make sure you see that there's a purpose in being joined to Christ so that we might bear fruit for God Slide 11, the NLT says, So, my dear brothers and sisters, here's the point. You died to the power of the law when you died with Jesus Christ. Now you're united with the one who was raised from the dead. That's Christ. As a result, we can produce a good harvest of good deeds for God. So, look at that first statement there. Still on slide 10 alone. Therefore, my brothers, you were made to die to the law through the body of Christ, so that you might be joined together. Now this word die, we need need to make sure we understand it. Slide 12. the Greek word athanatou. And it's a verb. The reason it's a verb is because Paul is trying to get across the completeness of death. The finality of death. How did this completeness... This uh, this completeness of death and the finality of death take place for you and I. Christ's own death on that cross for your sins and my sins is how this death, this finality took place. Your sins are washed away, past, present, and future. Wow, where does it teach us that, Pastor? I'm so glad you asked. Let's look at slide 13 and 14 and then all the way through. Romans 6 4 and 5. Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father. So we too, you remember that word newness there? We too might walk in newness of life. That word newness has the idea of a fresh new quality of life. Hey, if you came to faith in Christ, is there a fresh new quality in your life? Hallelujah. For if, there's a conditional clause, we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, the way that he died, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, now look at verse 6. Verse 6 slide 14, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with us so that you and I would no longer be slaves to sin. We don't have to serve sin, church. The NLT puts it this way. 15... For we died and we and were buried with Christ by baptism and just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father so we also may live new lives. Since we've also been united with him in his death we will be also raised to life as he was. When you die it's not over here. I hope you understand that. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ his death has become your death. So that sin may lose its power over our lives. Church, let me ask you this question this morning. Has sin lost its power over your life? Or are you still practicing the same behaviors you used to practice before you came to a faith in Christ? What, which is reigning in your life? Who sits on the throne in your heart? How do we put it together? <clears throat> the purpose of us having been put to death to the law is so that you and I could be joined, glued knit together with christ that's why paul's using the marriage analogy you see church just as death separates a wife from her husband or a husband from his wife so one of them or either of them can be joined to another the believer has been separated by death from the law so that he or she could be joined to christ so you are now married to christ That's why idolatry is so bad, because if you're truly his bride, Revelation 20, if you're truly his bride, when you're worshiping things other than him, you're committing adultery on the Lord. I got quiet in here now, Dr. Carter. So Christ's death on your behalf and my behalf, that's what makes it possible. Because Jesus suffered the penalty of death on our behalf, we are now freed from the relationship to the law Just as a widow is freed from the relationship to her former husband. Slide 17. So there's no guilt or shame. There's no condemnation, no punishment. There's no discouragement or frustration. There's no more feeling like a failure. There's no unworthiness. Listen, this is important, church. Salvation is what brings this complete, total change of spiritual relationship. We are no longer married to the law. That relationship is now null and void. It's done away with. We are married to Christ, who is the bridegroom. And even though we are no longer married to the law, I want us to keep in mind what we learned earlier, that the law still has tremendous value and important to us. It continues to teach us and instruct us. Do you remember slide 18 and 19? Paul talking to the church in Galatia about the law. What does he say? Therefore, the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ so that we might be justified by faith. A.T. Robertson, if you remember, what is a tutor? What did that mean back then when they used the word tutor? The Greek word there is the pedagogue. The pedagogue, the tutor or the schoolmaster, watched his, that's the student's behavior at home, He watched and attended to the student's behavior when he went away from home as to school. So Christ is now our schoolmaster. And the law, as the pedagogue, the tutor, kept watch over us till we came to Christ. It pointed us to our very need for Christ. And by the way, when you break one of the Ten Commandments, you broke the whole law. We have them broken down into these Ten Commandments. And Exodus chapter what? 20. Very good. Very good. I, you believers, you, you at least memorized the Ten I'm so proud of you. Deuteronomy five. And Deuteronomy 5, starting at verse 3. That's right. So, what is the purpose of all this? Well, Paul answers it for us. Here's the purpose. Slide 20. To him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might... Bear fruit for God. Bear fruit. That word fruit, slide twenty. Carpheros fruit, carpas, meaning fruit, fruit that's plugged. The athaporos meaning to bring it forth. So this this plump fruit, healthy fruit that God has given us. Is something that we are to bring forth. The offer us. Bring forth. And we have that word offering. Bring forth. Why are you and I able to even bear fruit? Or bring that fruit forth out of our lives? Well, there's actually a couple of different ways, at least two, that godly fruit reveals itself in the life of the believer. How? Through his actions, right? His character. So let's 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 look at that. Slide twenty in Galatians five. Who produces the fruit in your life and my life? The Holy Spirit, the Hagias Numa, the Ruach Hakadosh. The Holy Spirit is the one that produces the kind of fruit in our lives. What kind of fruit? Love, agape, toy, joy, charis, peace, arene, patience, makler thrumeo, kindness, goodness, faithness, persistaman, gentleness, self control (gasps) Self-control. Paul says, listen, there's no law against that. So then, the Holy Spirit operating in the life of a follower of Christ, a true born-again believer, is revealed through his attitude, actions, and behaviors. Think about it. Actions, attitudes, and behaviors. Do you love people? As crazy as the world is, do you have joy in your life? What, what is your joy centered on? What, what is it centered on? Think about it. Do you have peace in your life? Or do you have that, that, uh, schismaz, that seismic activity, that turmoil going on in your heart? Are you patient for people, even in traffic when they cut in front of you? Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Shh. Don't tell anyone. Do you have kindness towards others? Are you good towards others? Is, are you faithful? How about this? When somebody angers you, are you still gentle? Do you still maintain a monicum of self-control? Amen. See, there's no law against those things. side 22. Paul, Dr. Carter preached on this a little bit. Philippians 2, 5. Have this attitude in yourself. What attitude? The one that was also in Christ Jesus. So that word attitude. Slide 23. Some translations use the word mind, which is actually extremely accurate. What did Paul mean by attitude or mind? The, the Greek word there is phroneo. So I had to ask myself, well, Paul, okay, when you're talking about an attitude, you're talking about a mindset, what, what did you mean, Paul? Well, that word phroneo has the it, it means literally listen the seat of all mental and emotional activity what you're setting your affection on it involves your will your affections and your conscience it's the real you everything about you in your limbic system your mind your frontal everything in that limbic system that amygdala everything there the prefrontal cortex all of that that mindset the, the, so Paul's saying, listen, this, is, this has to be your entire attitude. This has to be what you're setting your affections on, your will, affections, your conscience, all have to be part of it. Now our modern definition is a settled way of thinking or feeling about someone or something. Typically one that is reflected a person's behavior. So your heart is revealed in your attitude. Slide 25. So here's some diagnostic questions. How has your attitude been this week? Oh man, got quiet again. I can hear crickets. How's your attitude been? I'm sure your attitude's been wonderful towards everyone. How about this? When things didn't go your way, and trials came, how has your attitude been towards God? Think about it. How's it been towards other people? Are we are we patient with other people? Are we gentle with others even when they're not gentle to us? Or do we want to do the one over them? Tit for tat. How about this? Here's an important one. And don't worry, I'm not going to pick too much on you if you're playing video games 18 hours a week. I won't do that to you now. Do we have self-control over our behaviors? No. That is the real acid test there. Do Do I look for blessings in the land of idols? Do I look for things to escape all of the pressure of life? Am I looking for that stuff to just take it all away? Because I'm saying, you know what, God? You're not enough. I have to go window shopping in the land of uh, idols in order to get my fix. You know, my 28 hours a week of TV or 18 to 20 hours a week of video games. Or I'm scrolling on my phone to 17,000 miles an hour. Letting that artificial intelligence just feed my mind with garbage. How about the way we speak to other people? Did you ever stop and think that God owns your mouth, He owns your words? Amen. Think about it. God owns your mouth. Well, what do you mean? Well, let's look at slide 26. Now, here's how the NLT puts it. The NASB says, let no corrupt communication. Proceed out of your mouth but only what is necessary for edification that you may impart grace to the hearers. But I don't mind the NLT. Do not use foul or abusive language. Uh Uh-oh. That means no hurling out profanity like a junkyard dog. I'm sure none of you have that problem at all. You all have mastery over that. Let everything you say be good and helpful in the NASB, you know, the the Greek word there is edifice, you know, the way you speak should be an edifice is a building, remember? It's a building up. So, you know, he says, you know, let no corrupt word, that word corrupt is a decaying thing. Think about your words can be weapons of mass destruction that can destroy somebody. Think about that. God has to own our talk and we have to have self control. Let everything you say be good and helpful, so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. And the question we have to ask ourselves is, hey, the way I spoke to people that week, this week, did I live out Ephesians 4:29? Did the words I spoke were they an encouragement to other people? How about how we speak to God? Slide 27. How about Hebrews 13? How do you and I speak to God? Through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit, that karposophos, the fruit of our lips that give thanks to his name. Now ask yourself this, the past week. When you were alone, how much praise did you give to God? How Often this week did you get alone with him and just thank him for giving you life? That's a tough one, isn't it? We can go with him and treat him like a magic genie in a bottle, throwing coins in the thing, you know, spit out a spit out a blessing here and there, Lord. You know, rub, rub my Bible, Lord, just flip it open. I, I need a blessing. But you know, I think the other side, how have I not blessed him by not the fruit of my lips giving thanks to his name. Slide 28. Do I have behaviors that I practice that discourage the people in my life? They'll they'll hear me talk about how the great football team won, and the basketball team, and all that. They'll talk about all that, and they'll talk about oh how great that video game is. Oh, you got to try that new one. Get $400 so you can sit there all day and get zoned out. Uh. Do the behaviors that I practice, do I have them that are discouraging to people in my life? Do they show them what I really worship? Chasing after the money, buying the scratch-off tickets, all of that stuff. Well, it's getting quieter now, Dr. Carter. How about this? When they're with me or around me, do they have a loss of confidence in who God is, who the Lord is? Do they see us chasing after things of the world rather than going to Him? How often do your friends see you pray and talk to God? (sighs) Uh Uh-oh. Now it's really quiet. How about this, church? Do they doubt God because they see you and I doubting God by how we speak to Him or talk about Him? God just doesn't hear me, Pastor Jack. He doesn't listen to me. No. You don't listen to him. What kind of car pasta for us? what kind of fruit, has been coming out of your mouth and my mouth? What kind of fruit? The fruit of the lips that give thanks to his name. What kind of fruits coming out of our mouths? How about that? Do I have a lack of tenderness or concern for others because it conflicts with my agenda? They become pawns to serve me. I am the leader of my own life. A lot of the self-help stuff tells you that. And that is antithetical to everything that God tells you. Beware of those self-help books. They promise you freedom. You know, you have it all inside you to do this. But that's not what the Bible says. You just read, you're supposed to be bearing fruit for Him. Not for yourself. How about slide 30? Well, slide 29 and 30. For we are His, and you've heard Dr. Carr and I teach on this many times. We are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. Look now, look at the verse. I want to make sure we unpack this a little bit. We are His workmanship. Statement one. Created in Christ Jesus for good works. Statement two. Statement two. Which God prepared when? Beforehand. Statement three. So that we would walk in them. Statement four. There are four statements broken down in that verse. Dr. Carter's going to teach you her hermeneutics later on. You'll be fine. It's okay. The NLT says, For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus. I like that. So we can do good things He planned for us long ago. So let's break this down a little bit. Don't worry, I only have about 28 more pages. We'll be out of here by four. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Workmanship, as Dr. Corn and I have told us before, poema. It's where we get our English word poetry from. Church, if you are a born again follower of Christ, you're a literary masterpiece, you are his handiwork. Psalm 139 says, He knits you in your mother's womb, and He said, You were fearfully and wonderfully made. He said, All your days were ordained for you before the world was. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. Remember, you didn't create yourself. Sorry, self help book people. God created you. God created you in fact in the in the in the Hebrew it's amazing you know the way they used to knit uh, tapestry real 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 beautiful tapestry and, and the idea of that word there in Hebrew is he, he knit you he wove you he knit you as a masterpiece in your mother's womb God doesn't make duds sorry doesn't happen that way so you're being a Christian is totally and entirely God's work listen It's God doing something in you. It's God who breathed breath of life in you. Look at slide 32. Paul says you were created in Christ Jesus. This means church. A Christian, a person who is born again, a person who has come to a saving faith in Christ, is a brand new creation. That word create, you see it up on the slide. Sidzo. The idea of the way this word is used here in the text in Hebrews has the idea of a moral and spiritual renewer in Christ. It's all about a new birth. Don't you understand that you're not the same that you were when you got saved? You have been put in Christ and He has been put in you. Think about it He's been put in you, you've been put in Him. You're not alone in there anymore if you're a believer. The person of the Holy Spirit is a person, not a force, indwells you. He says, God, 32, he says, which God prepared beforehand. The idea in the Greek here, it's an old verb, means to make ready beforehand. Think about it, church. The good works that God has for you and I to do were included in the eternal foreordination by God. A gazillion years before he created the solar system, stars, because God has always been. There's never a time that God did not exist. If you go all the way back to the expanses of history and time, he's already existed for bazillions and gazillions. He's, He's always existed. So this is not new to God. It may be new to you and I, but not to him. So when he says that he had good works for you, which he prepared beforehand, he has a plan and purpose for you. Beware of where you get your information from. He's telling you in his word, I got plans for you. He even told you in Jeremiah 29:11 that he's got plans for you. So he prepared it beforehand. The life of God has come into your very Suke, your soul. look slide 33. You're God's workmanship. You're his creation. God created everything from nothing at the beginning. Ex nihilio. God did not need to go to Home Depot. He didn't need to go anywhere like that. He didn't need to go to Lowe's. He s- literally spoke the world into existence from the breath of his own mouth. Don't believe in some garbage that you know you slithered out of some slimy pool. God, out of nothing, spoke everything you see. When you look up there, he spoke everything everything into existence you don't need second rate wisdom systems yes ex nihilo as I said here's something else he comes into a man or a woman and he makes you new he gives you a new nature so then a Christian a true born again Christian is a new creation nothing less church So then, if you are born again, you have the life of Christ within you through God the Holy Spirit. This is why we can boast of nothing. It's all God's work. It's always been all God's plan. Hear me this morning. In spite of ourselves, in spite of that sin that we still battle that remains in us, we are going to be made perfect because God has begun a work in us and he's not going to stop until he's completed that work in us. Notice, church, not you and I. Notice, It's God. He's the workman. Think about fruit for a minute. We're almost done, I promise. There, there seems to be a purpose of the relationship we have with Christ. Think of me this morning. Look at slides 34 and 35. Now, the person who is not a Christian... The person who was still dead in their sins and trespasses, they're still following the course of this world. They want nothing to do with God. They want all the the blessings and the trappings. They want all the goodies from God while they're running away from Him. They come in, snatch and grab, and they're out the door. So they want the blessing without any of the responsibility of the relationship. They are still spiritually dead. I hope that's not anybody here this morning. But the person who's not a Christian, how do we know? This. Here's your acid test for you, for me, all of us. The person who is not a Christian knows nothing of his or her purpose. That person lives only for self. Everything is revolved around what is in it for me, what are you going to do for me? You're going to pay me for four weeks before I even start the job at 40 hours a week. I want the paycheck before I even start. I want all the benefits and all that. He or she only brings forth fruit for their own lives. They only live for self-satisfaction. Think about how everything is orchestrated in your life for pain and comfort. Have you ever noticed about that? Think about the way we live in our homes or wherever we're at. Is everything designed for self-satisfaction? Be careful of that, because that's self-centeredness. And that person's proud of their morality. They're all about pleasing self, slide 35. Coming up to their own standards, trusting in their own efforts, their own endeavors. And they want everything to revolve around them. That is a person who is not born again. But, let me finish up. For the Christian. Now this is important, church. Don't miss this. For the Christian, he or she has an entirely new way of life. When you're a Christian, you have a fresh, new purpose. And that purpose is to bear that corpus, that fruit for God. Slide 36. Can this be said about you and I this morning? Ask yourself this morning. I'm almost done. Do you have an entirely new way of life? Here's the thing, the more you get into the Word, the more you pray, I can tell you this from my own experience. The more it's amazing how your prayers start to change. Your prayer life starts to change. When you come to faith in Christ and you're soaking in his word, your, your prayer life changes. There's an entire new focus. You're waking up not thinking about anything else, but like, Lord, how can I put you on full display today? How can I honor you today, Lord? Ask yourself, do you have that in your life? Do you have an entirely new way of life? You see, something happens to a person when they're saved. Something very, very, listen to me. Something happens when you're saved. You're given this new ability. You're given this new power. A power that you didn't have before your conversion. Slide 36. Can we say that about ourselves? Can we honestly say, I am not the same person I was before I came to faith in Christ? Are we aware of the fact that there is a new life living in us? Do you sense God the Holy Spirit in you? Molding you, shaping you, pruning you. Your desires begin to change. Your mindset begins to change. You don't pursue a chase after all of the junk you chased after before you got saved. Peter gives an acid test. slide 37 and 8. Peter says this. Like newborn babies. What do newborn babies long for? They long for the pure milk of the word. So that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. Ooh, boy, that's powerful. And the NLT says it this way: like newborn babies, you must crave pure spiritual milk, so that you will grow into the full experience of salvation. Cry out for this nourishment. I, I, I find it so puzzling how people don't get excited when they open up the Bible. It, it puzzles me. It's it, it. Listen, when you open up your Bible, you hear me. Do you realize when you open up your Bible, you start reading it? God's talking to you. Have you figured it out yet? When you open up the Scripture, this isn't a dead coffee table book. This isn't like Motor Trend Car of the Week book or some book at a doctor's office. When you open up the Scriptures and you start reading them, you're he's talking to you. Why would we ever want to disrespect that? Now the video games will talk to you. Let's kill the murdering, ha, oh, yeah, and all that other nonsense. Let's create death. When you run up up the Word of God, He's speaking life into your life. This is not the truth of that, of the new person, unsafe person. So church, do we desire this insincere milk of the Word of God, slide 39? How about this one? Do we look forward to public worship with each other? Amen. Can, can we say quite honestly that we really now have a new purpose in our life? Even though we know we're not worthy, our purpose is to serve the living God. Church, unsaved people, now some people aren't going to like this one. Unsaved people, they're bored of church worship. They don't find any benefit to being in a church or worshiping. They have no understanding of what's being taught. They think to themselves, you know, what in the world does this have to do with me? This dead carpenter that lived 2,000 years ago, what does he have to do with me? Are we bored of church worship? Do we come to hear God talk to us through his word? Does this resonate with anyone here this morning? One more. Slide 40 and 41. But the natural man, the unsaved man... He does not accept, he does not welcome into his heart the things, the teachings, and the revelations of the Spirit of God. Why? They're meaningless to him. He can't understand them because they're spiritually appraised. Which means, basically, in a nutshell, the unsaved person attaches no value to what's in this book. Here's the question for all of you and you listening around the world. What value do you attach to the scriptures? How much does that get compared to your, your Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and all that nonsense in your video games? Which wins in your home each week? If we can honestly say that our desire is to know more of the word of God, and if you sense this morning that there's something working in you that wasn't there before, it gives evidence that you belong to him. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes and bow your heads. I know I gave you a lot. I'm going to stop there. We'll leave the other 18 pages for another time. I know I hit you with a lot this morning. So here's the question for you this morning. Someday, someday you're going to draw your last breath here on Earth. Whether you're an atheist or a true believer, you know that's going to happen. And as I've said before, every graveyard that you drive by whispers in your ear, someday you're going to be here. I want you to think very clearly this morning. I personally believe we are living in the very last days. I believe we could be caught up at any time. I, when I started this message with you, I talked about how those nations are surrounding Israel. Our warships in the, right off the coast of Israel there near Jerusalem other warships coming in from China and Russia we are in very dangerous times the artificial intelligence is now so uh, high tech that you think you could be look, talking to hearing a real live person when you're just seeing an avatar it looks exactly like a person the bible says in the last days knowledge will increase I don't think anybody can deny that fact So, where are you going to spend eternity? If you were to drop dead this afternoon, today, tonight, whether you're hit by a car, you have a heart attack, something happens, a stroke, if you were to die today, and you were standing before the living God, and he was to look you dead in the eye, say, why should I let you into heaven? I want you to think very clearly what your answer would be this morning to that question. Listen, your video games, your drugs, your alcohol, your meth, your fentanyl, your crank, it's not going to save you. It may numb your skull, but it ain't going to save you. Someday you're going to die. And if everything we've talked to you about in this word is true, and I believe in every fiber of my being it is, you're in trouble if you do not surrender your life to Christ. There's only two things you've got to do. Repent and believe. If we confess our sins, He then is faithful and just to continually, present active verb in the Greek, continually forgive us of our sins and to continually, other present active verb, cleanse us continually from all unrighteousness. If we say we have no sin, we make Him a liar and the truth is not in us. So I ask you this morning, And I can sense the Holy Spirit here like an anvil, I can barely stand right now. If you were to drop that today, where are you going to spend eternity? When are you going to give up chasing after things that promise freedom and only deliver slavery to you? When? When is that going to happen? You're not going to be able to say, God, I was busy playing my video game. God, I was busy on TikTok and Facebook and Instagram filling my head with mindless information that does not produce any fruit in my life. You are in the last days. It is appointed once for a man to die and then the judgment. Understand this. When you drop that, there is no second chance. There's no second chance. There's no do-over. Sin generates consequences. It's a tough message, but we all need to hear it. So this morning you listening around the world, whatever country you're in right now, confess your sins to Jesus Christ. He already knows them. And place your faith and trust, your reliance and your hope on what Christ did for you on that cross at Calvary 2,000 years ago. Because he had you in mind when he bled and died. When he was punched in the face, flesh ripped off his back from the flagellum, crown of thorns, most of them have toxic stuff in them, put onto his head. Praetorian guard blinding him with a, the cloth over his face and punching him in the face. Grabbing that cross, carrying it to the hill of Golgotha. There, more punishment, more beating, nails through his wrists and his feet, his ankles. Pain shooting up through his body that's ungodly. Pushing up so he could breathe and get air in his lungs, because death on the cross is by asphyxiation. It's like drowning in yourself all for you not so you could play around and live life like he doesn't exist with 40 hours a week of TV and video games and all the other nonsense he didn't die for that he died so you could go if you're a believer and bear fruit for him so if you were here this morning I want to ask you to surrender your life to Jesus Christ as he has been freely offered to you in the gospel confess your sin to him come clean with him Fall on your face before him. Place your faith and trust in him. Stop trusting in the federal government, which is going to let you down. And transfer our trusting in Christ. I'm sorry, but your senators and congressmen didn't go to the cross for you. But Christ did. Amen? amen? Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. And may the Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In Yeshua's name, amen. When I ask